0: Welcome to the report card with Nat Malkus, the education policy podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. It's a challenge for school systems to produce, recruit, and retain quality teachers, and that challenge is only getting more difficult in the wake of the COVID pandemic. The severity of this problem keeps school system leaders on the hunt for solutions, and sometimes those solutions fall outside. The traditional pathways. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Tennessee's Commissioner of Education, Penny Schwinn, to discuss one of those outside solutions the state's newly introduced teacher occupation apprenticeship program called Grow Your Own. Joining Penny is an expert in teacher certification, Kate Walsh. Kate is the president of the National Council on Teacher Quality and has long been at the forefront of issues facing the teaching profession. Kate, Penny, Welcome to the report card. Thanks so much. So before we get into the specifics of Tennessee's new program, Kate, can you fill in the baseline for listeners? What does traditional teacher certification look like typically across the country?
1: Well, it's a you know it's a chaotic picture. I could I could talk for a couple hours about this and and put everyone to sleep, but let's let's try not to do that. And um, you know there are 50 different ways to become a teacher because every state decides their own rules and regulations. And so from a national perspective, it's quite chaotic. And probably from the experience of individual teachers, it's a pretty chaotic process. But traditionally, most people become a teacher by majoring in education in their undergraduate experience. And that was the model for years. And then uh, there was a lot of dissatisfaction with that. And um, in the 70s, there was some concern about shortages. So we started expanding it over time. And and a a lot more people came into teaching through graduate schools. I think currently it's something like 60% coming through undergrad, 30% coming through graduate schools. And then there's this uh, relatively new, but not so new anymore. It's about 30 years old, alternative certification routes. And that's, uh, people probably know it best by Teach for America. That's an alternative certification route where you're theoretically not required to spend a lot of time going to a school of education to get formally prepared. And uh, we can get into reasons, uh, you know, whether or not that uh, that actually turns out to be the case. It's less, it, it hasn't quite achieved its promise, nor has it expanded nearly uh, to the degree that people might like, because uh, alternative certification models are very expensive. And I think we can get into that today a bit with this with this uh, exciting news out of Tennessee with the Grow Your Own. But it typically, you know, the average alternative route program costs about seventy-five thousand dollars per candidate for for one of the higher quality routes. So um, it's it's not it's not peanuts, and so that's why higher ed continues to have really uh, dominate this um, dominate preparation because it's not a huge. Costs to districts, uh, nor, um, you know, so the candidate simply has to get a college degree and, and, and then qualify to be a teacher. But that's a very abbreviated version.
0: version, and uh, Kate, just to get a sense of sort of market share, I mean, uh, so I was an alternatively certified teacher, uh, I won't say how long ago, it's been some time but how much of you know our teacher workforce our public school teacher workforce goes through a, t- a traditional route
1: well as said it's about it's about 10% and with a higher what's interesting a higher percentage of that would be going into poor urban schools because of the way that some of these alternative route what what was the impetus for starting the alternative route was to get uh, smart young college graduates to consider teaching in high need schools. So that was its purpose. And so a lot of those folks don't end up teaching in the Tonier suburbs, they end up teaching in really tough schools. Um, So it's technically about 10%, but then you look at a state like Texas where half of their teachers come through um, alternative route programs that states an anomaly but it really skews uh, skews the numbers there are actually far fewer alternative route uh, teachers than that 10% suggests because so many of them are located in Texas
0: so i'm going to turn to Tennessee next but kate one other component here is this teacher shortage that we perennially hear about but you know in the in the current covid climate uh, it's amplified even more. So very briefly, how should we think about this teacher shortage and how it relates to alternative certification programs? Is, is it super dire, as, as many newspaper headlines would have you believe?
1: Well, anyone who follows my occasional foray into Twitter knows I'm pretty deeply upset about the way the press has handled this issue uh, with almost no evidence. And in fact, they've they, they've taken evidence... They've taken data sources that on um, that will, might indicate whether we have a teacher shortage, and they've misinterpreted them and miscited them. So I think uh, journalists have been, on the whole, they have fanned the flames and set out a panic. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't some teachers. I think the most responsible work that I've seen so far is out of Chalkbeat that came out yesterday, showing that, yeah, teacher uh, resignations are up some, but not not alarmingly so. Um, but uh, people believe what they want to believe. And so there's a narrative out there that says all teachers are quitting. Some places there are higher rates. Some places don't have higher rates. And so it's just it's just not the storyline the press has wanted to tell. And uh, I'm not here to say that, that there isn't a problem. I'm here to say we don't know that there's a problem because we actually don't track teacher supply and demand in the United States, not in any real time way.
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of hard to know. And, and we'll link to that piece by Matt Barnum that came out yesterday because I, I agree it's it's a useful one. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Penny, let's shift to Tennessee. These same questions, but particularly in terms of you know, teacher supply in Tennessee, what's the state's situation?
2: Yeah, you know, I think I would agree uh, with, with what Kate said, and that we are seeing certainly trends of a, of a slight uptick. We do a teacher vacancy data report. We just got our report back, and we're seeing a very slight uptick. But generally, over the last several years, we've we've held pretty constant. About seventy seven percent of those teachers who are prepared in Tennessee end up staying. And our retention in that is, you know, ninety-two uh, for the first year. They go into eight, drops to eighty-two, and then we tend to retain about seventy-five percent of those teachers forevermore. We're seeing that four to five-year mark as kind of the the watershed of um, who stays and and who ends up transitioning to another profession. But look, I I agree. It's it's um, I don't see it in the same way as I think a lot of uh, a lot of the press that I've read. That being said, it has been a really hard two years. We want to make sure that. Um, We are keeping our great teachers. We also want to make sure that we are getting more people who might not have otherwise considered teaching. And we've got to remove a lot of these barriers that we put up that make it really hard to to get into the profession.
0: So that's interesting, Penny, because, you know, I could expect someone who's trying to discuss a new grow your own alternative route. Uh, to to teaching program to say, oh, we have a terrible shortage. It's particularly a pain point right now. So we have to make a change. So there must be some other set of reasons that you are starting a grow your own program. So what is the sort of motivating rationale uh, behind this, uh, this new program?
2: Yeah, you know, I think what we saw is looking at some of our very rural areas, frankly, and looking at areas where we have we have traditionally had a very hard time finding teachers. And it's not unique in that you know you think about science and math and special education and esl teachers perennial needs year over year Uh, it hits our rurals harder Uh, in our south central part of the state there was something like one or two teachers who finished their programs in math and that did not meet the need in terms of vacancies within that area of the state and so we wanted to try to figure out what are different opportunities to get folks into the profession maybe those folks who Wouldn't have otherwise considered it because there were economic barriers or they were career changers and didn't want to invest $10,000 into becoming a teacher where they are going to make half of what they made in their current job. So, um, this was really a way to think through how to get more folks into the profession um, who might want to enter teaching, but also just to say we have to think about how to do it better. Um, And one of the things that we've seen in study after study is that those teachers who study under exceptional mentor or master teachers have much stronger results otherwise. And uh, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. When you see it done really well, you're more likely to mimic those same behaviors and practices. And so a lot of that went into the thinking here in Tennessee.
1: And it's not a surprise, but it's not the practice. So currently when people get assigned to their cooperating teacher or their mentor teacher, as student teachers, we do it. We do an analysis of the policy of all programs across the country, teacher prep programs on this, and very, very few of them insist that the mentor teacher be effective. And the converse is true. School districts go to almost no effort to identify the best teachers. So we are missing out on a key quality ingredient to preparing great teachers. We know that teachers who spent time with the really great teachers can arrive in the classroom as effective as a teacher in the third year than a novice teacher who's had no experience. I mean, it's amazing how much progress you can get out of these. uh, You can get out of a new teacher just from having that great experience.
0: And those first two years are big difference makers in uh, the the growth of teacher effectiveness. Am I, am I right on that, Kate?
1: Oh Yeah. The the biggest, uh, people find it surprising, but teachers improve a ton between year one, two, and three. And then it starts to flatten out pretty quickly. So a teacher at her fourth or fifth year of experience is on average, this is not always true, but on average about as effective as a teacher in her 15th or 20th year.
0: All right. So, Penny, I've beaten around the bush a little bit on this program, but let's get down to brass tacks. You have a new program. What are the components of it and what are your expectations for it?
2: Absolutely. So uh, Tennessee is really proud. We're the first state to make teaching an apprenticeable position. And what that means is that we can now access Department of Labor dollars, to support a different way of approaching becoming a teacher. So we have our first program in Clarksville Montgomery school system. They have done an exceptional job. And what this means is that those folks who uh, wanna become teachers and their program really focuses on paraprofessionals in the school, and to some extent, other instructional and non-instructional personnel, who for a number of reasons can't, frankly, just can't afford uh, to to get into the profession. So uh, what it does is it uses Department of Labor dollars each of those individual teachers essentially becomes a federally registered apprentice. They all day um, are in schools studying under a mentor or a master teacher for two years. So essentially, they are uh, their first year of teaching, to Kate's point, they are like third-year teachers because they've been in classrooms studying under great educators for, for two years prior to that. You then go in um, in the evening and you take a reduced course load. So you do have some of those critical courses that need to be taken for some of our folks that's also finishing their BA. Um, but it is a, it is using that full-time experience during the day, studying under mentor teachers as a large part of the coursework component. It also ensures that those folks are getting paid. They're getting paid as paraprofessionals as they are doing the work. So now it's become a teacher for free and you're getting paid to do so.
0: And so far, th- this is sort of in its early stages. A, a program like this is obviously going to depend not only on how well the program is set up and how well a-, a district or state is executing on it, but how many folks out there who are not teachers but might be interested in it are actually interested in taking on that program. So how much demand have you seen for you know, the-, the early programs?
2: So we have seen ballooning demand. We started out with one Grow Your Own program in early uh, 2019 in terms of the partnership with the state. They started in in, uh, late 2018. Uh, We then used federal relief funds to provide grants until we had this apprenticeship approved. We went from one program in 2019. We now have 65 in the state with 650 future educators. To give you a sense, our vacancy data that came in in February puts us at just about 1,100 vacancies statewide. So in just these first few years, to have that many folks coming in looking to become a teacher, it's more than half of what we're seeing in terms of real vacancies. So we're, we're excited about the opportunity of the number of people who want to come in. What they listed uh, as one of the biggest barriers was affordability to become a teacher. So you're telling me I have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to be in a profession that might pay me that same amount annually. Uh, that That's a hard sell. So I think this has been um, a really great way to say, nope, you can work while you earn your degree. Um, you can work while you earn that credential, but you're spending most of that that credit hour really studying under those folks who do it well.
1: Penny, uh, let me, I, I need to interject. Well, you were gonna ask me a question anyway, but I just wanted to chime in to say that how, just to give some context, how impressive those numbers are of 650 teachers. You know, you I, I've tracked programs like TFA, TNTP, Urban Teach, all these other groups that supply teachers, and it takes them years. It's took, it takes them years to get to those kinds of numbers. So this speaks to the demand for this kind of model.
0: So Kate, I was just gonna ask you to, to weigh in not only on that, But beyond, you've looked at these programs. I know you've been paying attention to what's going on in Tennessee. First of all, what do you find exciting and exemplary about what Penny and her folks are setting up down in Tennessee?
1: I think the, the thing I am most excited about is it addresses our wholesale negligence of the needs of rural schools. And and when I I say that, I sound very critical. I'm directing that criticism at Kate Walsh as much as anyone else, that we have really not focused on where, where the greatest struggles are for new teachers and keeping teachers. And that is in our nation's rural schools, where most of the poor children in America, children living in poverty, I should say, live. And we've, we've done a lot of rhetorical, uh, we, we do the occasional nod to rural schools. This thing that Tennessee is doing, I think, is, is, is aimed right at that sweet spot for the needs of rural schools. It's taking people who already live in those communities and saying, we'll give you a pathway to a better life, a rural profession, and you can stay where you want to stay. And I just I think you know I, I my hat is off to Tennessee. This is really impressive what they're doing, and um, it's not just one more program to bring teachers into high need schools in in the city. Which, by the way, research will show that um, the urban schools, as challenging as challenging as many of them are, they do not struggle. To, they are only slightly uh, less attractive to teachers, to aspiring teachers, as as are the suburban schools. So they do not begin to have the struggles that the rural schools are having.
0: So there's these interesting dynamics about, you know, teacher labor supply and, and induction and demand. But of course, Kate, uh, I don't have to remind you that you're president of the National Council on Teacher Quality. So let's talk a little bit about teacher quality. I mean, I could see that there are uh, some folks, whether they are sort of uh, in the pocket of a big, uh, you know, teacher education programs or or whether they're just your your everyday parents that say, hold on a second, those programs must be contributing some quality control and and growing strong teachers. And I worry that, you know, these programs that may make an end run around them are going to bring in teachers that aren't going to be as high quality. What do you say to that kind of line of logic?
1: Well, one, this doesn't really fit the bill. This the the concern you might have about shortcut. um, These folks are going to college. You know, they're going through a teacher prep program, as I understand it, a traditional BA degree. So, I don't know that that is an issue. But I, in a broader way, I have very serious issues about and so it is ironic cuz i began my career as a huge advocate for uh, alternative route programs but when i saw what alt route programs were not providing by way of reading instruction and math preparation and some of them were basic things I, I, I became a little less enamored of them over the years just because they just don't have enough time to do what they need to do but this program i don't think i don't think there's anything about to grow Your Own program that Penny has developed that suggests a shortcut.
0: Penny, how have you consciously developed this program to make sure that rather than just creating an alternative pathway, that you have an alternative pathway that's going to assuredly produce high-quality teachers?
2: Yeah, you know, I I think it's an important question and I agree that, you know, when we think about our rural communities, especially, we have to open up more doors for them without reducing quality right so in this program one of the things that, that I think works is that you have to apply for what that process is going to look like. So here is the experience that our teachers are going to have. It still gets evaluated by our state board of education, just like any other program to meet those minimum requirements. But one of the things that I think is important is that we are saying there is a different and a better way for some, for some folks who want to get into the profession. So, you know, I, I've heard a little bit of the knocks that, you know, we are lowering quality and, you know, making it easier and just throwing any warm body in the classroom. And as, you know, a teacher and the sister of a teacher and the daughter of a teacher and, and, you know, niece, cousin, friend of teachers. That is the opposite of what we want to do. What I do want to do is address the fact that Tennessee has 10,000 children without a certified math teacher in front of them every day that is unacceptable. And so when we think about how we need to find other solutions to get to some of these problems, um, we want to have quality folks. And we think that this is a pathway that gets quality folks. And frankly, we think that most of our ed preps need to move much more aggressively into a mentor master teacher model, getting more teachers, more practice under really strong other educators. This does that, but it does it in a way where folks are doing that in their home communities in schools and classrooms where they will stay uh, so we actually think that this is this is more where we would like to move um, most ed prep uh, in general
1: yeah it's not like ed prep doesn't need to do a lot of work <laughs> it's a, let's let's just call a spade a spade i mean there, there are a lot of problems within traditional teacher prep And you have no guarantee that if you go through several years of a traditional teacher prep program that you are going to be ready for the classroom, unfortunately. We've got a lot of work to do with with traditional prep.
0: So, Penny, draw those distinctions for me a little bit more clearly. Could you just, I don't know, take the top two or three things that you think are clearly distinct between the grow your own program as far as what is done to equip teachers to be ready on day 1 and and how that differs from traditional typically traditional programs
2: yeah so i think that the the biggest difference first and foremost is that our folks in the grow your own programs are spending full days in classrooms with great teachers Like that is the priority. It is how do I actually serve as an apprentice, not a student teacher for, for, you know, however many months and all the different kinds of challenges we see there, but I'm actually working with students, getting real-time coaching and feedback, and I am being paid for that time. So that in essence gets to the best of the mentorship model while also removing those financial barriers. I think that is, that is number one for us. Number two really is the train and grow where you live and where you are from. When we see those issues related to rural and urban communities in particular, we wanna make sure that people do not need to leave their communities to go become a teacher and then hope that they come back. We really need to make sure that they are able to stay where they grew up and wanna be able to teach. So being able to create those opportunities at the local level and have it be those local school districts in partnership with ed preps, whether those are online or in person, being able to have that relationship that gets folks Kind of to plant where they where they grew um, and really feel good about that. So those are two things that I think are are unique to this program.
0: Penny, I know that West Virginia has a program that it looks to some degree like the Grow Your Own program that is starting up. I also understand that part of this is these Department of Labor dollars that plays a key role, right? That's a new resource that enables you to do something. What do you think the Grow Your Own program does as far as paving the way for other states to do this? And what advice would you give your fellow commissioners if they're thinking about such programs?
2: Yeah, you know, the Department of Labor, getting it actually approved as a a federal apprenticeship was the game changer for us because we've been using these federal relief dollars. We've all talked ad nauseum that those dollars are going away. How do you create sustainability? So this is our sustainability play. Uh, we know that many states revert their labor dollars every year. And so, you know, education has no problem spending money. I think we know that. So we can gobble up a little bit more of those dollars and help to pay for teachers in terms of the, the high cost that we're seeing in, in ed prep programs. It, it, you know, for other commissioners, I think what I would say is there's no silver bullet. You still have to make sure you've got great people who want to become teachers. Um, Now you have a much wider array of options, whether those are juniors and seniors in college and helping to get them through those last few years. It could be career changers. It could be retirees who are coming in from another profession and need a track into the classroom. Colin Powell had had a a, kind of a relatively famous comment where he had said, you know, I've done all of these things in my life, but I couldn't teach in, in our public schools. And so you think about those folks who are scientists and doctors and lawyers and everybody else. How do we get them to be teachers if that's what they want to do and not make it so hard to do so? So I think what this does is that it removes those financial barriers. It gets people in the classrooms a lot faster, but it does so responsibly by ensuring that they have that mentorship along the way for the, the good practice that we'd like to see in front of
0: our kids. So, Penny, let me follow on with one sort of niche question. I know that you have some great scholars at Vanderbilt focused on career and technical education. And it seems to me that for those jobs, which can be kind of hard to fill, even though I'll admit we don't know that much about CTE labor, teacher labor shortages and so forth. How does this particularly fit in with the diverse employment needs that you have to find high quality CTE teachers?
2: Yeah, so this is going to be huge for us and something that you're going to see coming out of Tennessee, I think, in the next year or so is this idea of adjunct teachers. So we know that we've got, um, we're expanding CTE pretty aggressively. The governor's got a, a pretty big budget ask around how do we actually make CTE more of the norm? Um, and less of kind of the the old the old school voc-ed um, connotations. We think that this is just a model we want to see in our high schools, get kids practice and let them figure out what they want to do and what they want to be more in real time. So for CTE teachers, we've got a lot of folks, let's say you want to be an electrician or a welder, they're not going to quit their jobs to come teach full time. We only need them for maybe one or two courses a day, but they still have to go through the through the same processes as everybody else in large part. So we wanna be able to streamline that, remove those barriers and say, look, you need a great electrician who can show you how to be an electrician. So using that apprenticeship model within our CTE courses is absolutely the direction that we're moving. And frankly, we've also expanded teaching as a profession. We have that CTE course of study in Tennessee. We are expanding that rapidly. So now our high school students Are getting practice in teaching starting in that junior and senior year and they're able to do these two plus two programs where they finish college just a couple of years early but they've had four years of on the ground training from excellent teachers before they enter into the classroom so we're really trying to reshape the way that we think about high school and not just teacher prep
0: so penny a a few years from now let's say you know let's let's get a little time passed on these programs if it's really flourishing How will you know? What are the indicators of success for this program?
2: Indicators of success are going to be number one. Those who are going through a Grow Your Own program are performing as well, if not better, than their other first year peers. I think we've got our first cohort that are in the classrooms right now, and we are seeing that that is playing out. I think number two, um, what we would see is that we have addressed a significant portion of the teacher shortage here in Tennessee through these programs and that we've done so, not just by putting more people through programs, but making sure they are in the places where the need exists. And then frankly, number three um, is always gonna be about kids. At the end of the day, students who are in classrooms of folks who've gone through grow your own programs should perform the same or better than other traditional programs. Um, I I do believe that we are on the path for for that data. We are seeing that again, this is our first, first cohort in classrooms Um, We're doing walkthroughs and and looking at their mid-year data, but we are very encouraged about the quality of those educators um, and, frankly, the passion that they are bringing to that first year because they've worked for it in a very different kind of way.
0: Kate, from your perspective, I mean, you're you're a not in a negative sense, but, you know, you critique these kinds of programs, you critique roots to teacher quality. If this is going to be a successful program, what other things should we pay attention to sort of beyond the things that Penny clearly laid out?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, and I don't say this with any any criticism aimed at this program, because I just don't know. But I think my biggest concern is, yes. Teacher candidates need really high quality practice, and we know how much it pays off. So that's all a given, and I wouldn't take away from that for one second. I I, I guess my broader worry is that we are losing sight of the need for teachers to be well educated. And to, you know, for example, elementary teachers need to know a lot about a, a lot about a science, they need to know some history, they need to know geography not just because we think science and history is interesting but because if we ever have a prayer of raising children's reading success if we're ever going to get past this hole that we've dug ourselves in with with so many kids not reading well uh, especially with poor children they need much more exposure to background knowledge and they need exposure to those topics that we think of or that we often treat as an add-on. So, I think my bigger concern with a lot of the alt root shortcuts is that they give short shrift for the teacher to be reasonably well educated, and they don't have to. They don't have to be authorities on the atom or or what happened in seventeen seventy-six. But they have to know about the atom and they have to know about seventeen seventy-six. So. I think that it's not just, that's not just the case with Alt-Root, but that is the risk that we run when we shift the focus entirely on practice um, as some programs have done, and I'm not saying that about this one, but that we're seeing, a, an, I, I'm seeing a general trend across the country where it doesn't seem to matter if people know anything before they get in the classroom. And, and that I think is really bad for kids. So th- that's, my, that's my background worry on all these things.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, Tennessee spent a lot of time on our high quality instructional materials Um, wanting to make sure that the resources that are in the classroom really build that background knowledge. And I think one of the things, one of the things we are seeing is that if teachers don't come with that level of uh, understanding about the content themselves, then they're doing that kind of research in real time for educating students. And so I think that that's part of shifting the narrative on what ed prep actually does and what it is intended to do. And, And, you know, one of the things that we focus on, for example, in this apprenticeship model is looking at How do you teach a really good lesson because you have the right materials in front of you and you're focusing on the practice, the preparation for that lesson, as opposed to having someone who's never been in a classroom try to figure out what an objective should be and what kind of activities you should do. So we're really trying to bridge and marry together high-quality materials, making sure our ed prep providers are actually training folks on how to use high-quality materials and then focusing on the practice component but I couldn't agree more that that background knowledge is critical if we are really going to address quality uh full quality and comprehensive quality in classrooms
1: well just so I don't misunderstand you I don't think this is a real-time issue I think that it's really hard for teachers to go in and teach a really good lesson that they also have to learn the content I do think the content has to be something that they've acquired through independent of, of the teaching process. So I think on that point, we probably disagree a bit, but I do think think we're paying less and less attention to the fact that teachers do need to know something to be effective.
0: Yep, I agree. Let me offer something, and and you can tell me if I'm being Pollyanna-ish, but it strikes me that moving to an apprenticeship model has some benefits for the institutions that schools are. And I want to float this out there and see if this is possibility or if I'm asking too much. For instance, we often think about teacher training as, well, you bake them and then you release them. And even student teaching is part of that prep. And so they kind of move into the schools. And then oftentimes, perhaps far too often, teachers are then left to their own practice rather than getting lots of feedback from peers and and higher quality teachers. Once you inject an apprenticeship model into schools, it seems like there'd be, have to be some institutional shift where the responsibility for practice from sort of more junior members becomes more of the purview of more senior members. So I wonder, Penny, am I being too hopeful or could this kind of model actually have institutional changes that might float all boats?
2: You know, I, I, I think maybe we're maybe a little optimistic, but I love optimism. So you know, one of the things that that we're seeing in our, in our districts and, frankly, in our ed preps is that when you introduce new ideas or new pathways or new models, everyone ups their game a little bit, or they start to think a little bit differently in terms of, well, how might my recruitment change? Am I just going to go to the job fair every single year and hope that I have the right person that shows up? Or am I starting to look at my existing staff differently? Am I starting to look in my community a little differently? And then what are the different compensation models that I might need to put into play in order to get those great folks into the teaching profession? We are seeing that within our school districts right now, just the lens shift in who is a potential and future teacher, broadening that and being much more inclusive, I think, in a really important way. On our ed prep side, we're also seeing some shifts. You know, competition is a funny thing. And when we introduce more competition, I think that we've seen a lot of ed prep's come to the table, um, more interested. Uh, I don't know if that's going to lead to systemic change and in restructuring in, in our educator preparation providers, but I do think we are seeing more of them start to think a little bit differently about how they deliver coursework, where they deliver coursework, who they might do that for. Um, the only other thing I would say to that is we have a couple of, of districts that are on the forefront. Uh, in Tennessee, we do allow something called LEA as EPP. So we do have a district in, in Rutherford County they actually went through the process to become their own ed prep. And it is, it is another step forward in this grow your own model. They have a completely separate organization within their district where teachers go, they actually learn content in real time, and then they are moving directly into the classroom back and forth. That has entered a very disruptive kind of grow your own into the system. So that's the other one that we've been, we've been working very closely with. We see probably two or three more of those coming up in the next year or so. So it is, it is shifting the way people think. But it is going to be those those forefront kind of folks, the leaders uh, who are going to push the envelope and, and hopefully see some systemic change.
0: Quick question about the Grow Your Own program. What's the possibilities when it comes to diversifying the teacher labor force? This is probably
1: the. Top issue facing folks today in terms of the teacher labor market is how we can bring about more diversity into a profession that is mostly white when kids are not no longer mostly white. They're black and brown. So we this is not just a matter of 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 cultural identity. This is this is essential for kids because we know the black black kids particularly less so brown kids but black kids their achievement levels soar and I mean that, and I don't use that word lightly, they soar uh, in the hands of a competent Black teacher. So so we know it's how important it is for student learning. And so everybody is, is looking everywhere for how we might correct this imbalance. And I think the Grow Your Own motto is a very promising one because you are talking about getting people in their communities um, who haven't had the wherewithal and haven't had, that, had the luxury to pay for Uh, To to pay the money to become a teacher. Um, And so I I think this is a, I don't know, Penny knows her own numbers better than I do, that's for sure. But I do think it's a promising um, source of how we might be able to find more teachers of color Yeah, I
2: I agree with Kate. So, what we're seeing, especially in this first, uh, our first cohort coming out of Clarksville Montgomery, is that we have seen significant diversity in who those teachers are, um, much more reflective of the student population that is served in that district. Uh, One of the things that has been a a priority in Tennessee for a number of years, there's actually a, a state board does a report card on this it's one of the ways that our ed preps are evaluated is are we are we diversifying the profession in a way that reflects the students that we serve what we found is that in these grow your own programs because you are pulling from the community itself that that the schools are in you are getting a much more reflective group of folks to come in it is much more uh reflective of the students who are being served in those schools and it grows as the demographics of, of those communities ebb and flow and shift. And so we are we think that this is going to be one of the most promising ways to, to meet some of those diversification goals that, that exist within the State Board of Education. But also, frankly, it, there's something there's something different and special about teaching where you grew up. I don't know if anyone's had that same opportunity. I, I had the opportunity to teach and, and run a school in the neighborhood where I grew up. There is a different kind of passion, understanding, and commitment to community. And so what we are seeing is that when that also reflects the people who live there, there is significant potential for what that can mean for students. And so we are excited about that.
0: Well, certainly pushing the envelope in Tennessee. Penny, Kate, thanks for coming on the report card. And uh, give us a few years, and we'll get the gang back together (laughs) to see how it's (laughs) gone.
1: sounds good. (laughs) Okay, all righty. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Report Card with Nat Malkus. And special thanks to our guests, Kate Walsh, and Tennessee Commissioner Penny Schwinn. We'll include a link to Commissioner Schwinn's announcement of the Grow Your Own program in the show notes. And I'd like to remind you that you can subscribe to The Report Card on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review to help other folks find the show. As always, you can send your comments, questions, or topic suggestions to ed.podcast at AEI.org. That's it for this episode. I'm Nat Malkus.